Every leader wrestles with what is called the Stockdale paradox. Stockdale was a senior officer imprisoned in Vietnam. He struggled with the tension between two goals. The first goal is to be brutally honest because it's in the honesty that one enlists the trust of one's followers. But he had to balance that against the ability to provide a rational basis for hope. The COVID-19 pandemic is a crisis of unprecedented scale and scope. As we adapt to the new realities, we look to our leaders for clarity, direction, and the reassurance that their responses will mitigate, not exacerbate, the rate of infection and its potentially dire consequences. While no modern U.S. president has ever been exactly here before, what do past commanders-in-chief have to teach us about times like this? Bob Runer is Dean Emeritus of the Darden School of Business and University Professor at the University of Virginia. An eminent scholar on financial crises and panics, in recent years, he's also examined the leadership style of U.S. presidents in times of crisis, surfacing findings that could inform the current moment for leaders at all levels as we navigate the difficult path ahead. I'm Sean Carr, and welcome to Darden Ideas to Action. Bob, thanks for joining us remotely for this first socially distant episode of the podcast. I'm delighted to be with you. COVID-19 is not a single crisis. It's a health crisis. It's an economic one. It's humanitarian. What do you think any leader could do to be effective when the variables are so complex? Leadership effectiveness in the middle of a crisis is benchmarked against a few attributes that presidents have displayed in prior crises. First of all, they take ownership of the problem. Crisis leaders say, it's not somebody else's problem. I'm going to deal with this and let's rally together. Effective crisis leaders prioritize. They frame a vision. They help set standards and expectations for what the community at large must rally around to undertake. Effective crisis leaders are exceptional communicators. Effective crisis leaders are innovators. They're able to take good ideas from wherever they may come, and they're brutally honest in calling out the bad ideas. Finally, I would say that effective crisis leaders display a sense of optimism, and this optimism is infectious. Now, you've looked at a number of presidents in some of your recent research, and you've looked at their characteristics and the way they've behaved. Can you think of an example that we might look to? Are there, are there several examples that might be illustrative for us to consider? We could point to George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Franklin D. Roosevelt as examples of three presidents who dealt with severe crises. And of those three, certainly the one that dealt with an obvious economic crisis was Franklin D. Roosevelt. Roosevelt came into office on March 4, 1933, at the very bottom of the Great Depression, when the 
circumstances looked simply hopeless. The global economy was spiraling downward into an abyss, a self-reinforcing cycle of collapse. And at that moment, he rallied the American nation with his famous first inaugural speech in which he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. This demonstrated an extraordinary empathy on the part of the president. Presidents are in bubbles, as you can well imagine. They're surrounded by a narrow circle of advisors, some of whom are wonderful critical thinkers and others of whom are sycophants and tell the president what they think the president wants to hear. FDR was distinguished among virtually all the presidents by virtue of his ability to understand the pain of a nation, to try to translate that into actionable items. I think that empathy is crucial for crisis leaders. Let me say a word about George Washington. We remember Washington for many attributes, but in my mind, I think he stands out particularly for his own self-discipline and his dogged determination. This is an attribute of great leaders, I believe, but it's very difficult to lead others unless you master yourself. You must master yourself in order to serve others. This is a, a detail that's not well understood in modern culture. It's kind of a let-it-all-hang-out culture where you know we're invited to be authentic and display our true feelings, et cetera, et cetera. Some authenticity is good, especially if it's authenticity on behalf of values and purpose. Washington certainly displayed that kind of authenticity, but in other respects, he was reserved, and his, his very reserve conveyed confidence to his followers. They did not see a leader who was overtly anxious and running around disorganized and spreading fear through his organization. The other crisis leader among the presidents that we must refer to is Abraham Lincoln, president from 1861 to 1865 when he was assassinated. Lincoln displayed extraordinary temperance, if you will. Lincoln was not a man possessed by his emotions in the sense of vengeance and anger toward the South. He realized that the future of the nation depended entirely upon successful reunification, reintegration of the South, liberation of the slaves, integration of the African Americans into the fabric of society. He set a tone that proved to be extraordinarily important in framing the reconstruction of the nation after the end of the Civil War. His willingness to embrace former adversaries in an attempt to reunify is absolutely extraordinary. From past U.S. presidents, we've learned a lot, and you've articulated a number of things that you think have been quite important. But what does that mean for today? Let me talk about authenticity a bit more. This is a current virtue that we hear a great deal about. It is frequently couched in terms of the ability of a leader to win the trust of those who follow the leader. Trust is based on authenticity, it is said. At the widest extreme is a belief that the leader must be completely transparent about the leader's 
state of mind, strengths, fears, weaknesses, ambitions, etc. Only with that degree of transparency can a leader truly win the allegiance of followers. I take a different view. I take the view that transparency is not what we mean by the desirable degree of authenticity. Rather, authenticity should be gauged as allegiance to something or someone or many ones. That What we really care about as followers is knowing what are the deep values that motivate this person Do I want to buy into the deep values of the leader? And therefore, in order to answer that question, I need to know what it is the leader values. And therefore, I think the authenticity that matters is authenticity of purpose, of commitment, of values. And as a result, we care to know, not only through words, but also deeds, what it is that the leader thinks is important. Without naming names or pointing fingers at particular presidents, I would say that some have been, shall we say, extraordinarily transparent in the first definition of impulsive expressions of attitude and likes and dislikes, etc. That kind of transparency is revealing of the leader's value and purpose and aspirations, but it also reveals much more than, frankly, we care to know. What is the connection between that type of authenticity and optimism? Let me give you an example. Dwight Eisenhower was the supreme commander of Allied forces in Europe during the Second World War and proved to be extraordinarily able in communicating optimism and ambitious expectations to his commanders and even the frontline troops. There is an historical record by several writers of a meeting that Eisenhower convened just before D-Day at which the assembled commanders of the various forces came together in one room and they were glum. They were extremely tense. They were waiting for orders to deploy and to commence preparations to carry out the D-Day invasion. Everyone had on his or her mind, the risks at hand, the uncertainties that lay ahead. Eisenhower walked in with a broad smile on his face and the easy presence that subsequently writers acknowledged conveyed extraordinary calm and self-confidence and optimism. Indeed, it was Winston Churchill who later said that Eisenhower's smile was worth 10 divisions. Yet his biographers acknowledge that even during the Second World War and during his presidency, Eisenhower experienced bouts of despondency, of deep anger, of resentment. So the question is, what is authenticity if, in Eisenhower's case specifically or more generally, what does it mean to be authentic if you're displaying one emotion to a broader constituency, and yet other more complex and darker emotions to a small circle of people around you. And surely the answer is that Eisenhower knew that his ability to lead depended crucially on his ability to convey authenticity 
to a particular purpose, to the advancement of the United States, to settlement of global tensions, to resolution of conflicts, to the security of peace. I think every leader wrestles with what is called the Stockdale Paradox. Stockdale was a senior officer imprisoned in Vietnam, and as a senior officer was morally responsible for all of the other U.S. prisoners and their welfare during his time in prison. And he struggled with the tension between two goals. The first goal is to be brutally honest, because it's in the honesty that one enlists the trust of one's followers. But he he had to balance that against the ability to provide a rational basis for hope. And so this tension between being honest and sustaining hope for the future, I think was demonstrated quite well by Eisenhower during his time as president and his comportment in the Oval Office. At this time of such grave uncertainty, we're all grappling with how to behave and what to do. What do you think any one of us ought to draw from some of these lessons and approaches to leadership in our own lives right now? I like very much the slogan, lead from where you are. Too often, we wait to be organized, to be marshaled and mobilized by a leader. But I think waiting for that kind of command to come along is waiting for failure. And that instead, each of us need to own the situation. Yesterday, I urged my students in my elective course here at Darden to reach out and engage someone, anyone, many people ideally, to call, to mail, to email, to send handwritten notes, ideally, maybe to send flowers or food, toys, maybe puzzles to families with kids, to especially engage the elderly, perhaps to engage members of a family, to reach out to service providers in one's sphere, medical service providers, doctors, nurses, menial staff members, first responders, the police, the firefighters, workers in any emergency capacity, people who are showing up at work routinely deserve our outreach. And it can begin as simply as asking, how are you doing today? I think another vital attribute of uh, leading from where you are is to encourage people wherever you are. Think about the word encourage. It means to help sustain courage, help to sustain the ability to carry on, to keep at it, to hold out, to stay sequestered against the virus and not spread it to others and not become infected oneself. Every epidemic has ended. This one will too. We need to hang in there and get past this. And we'll surely do that, and we'll probably emerge from this better and stronger because of this ordeal that we're going through. Thank you, Bob. I am so grateful for your time and your insights. I'm Sean Carr, and that's it for today's episode of Ideas to Action. 
Professor Bob Bruner is Dean Emeritus of the Darden School and University Professor at UVA. His research includes studies of presidential leadership and financial panics. Join us next time for more research, analysis, and commentary from the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. You can subscribe to Ideas to Action on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download or stream. To read more expert insights on this topic and more, visit ideas.garden.virginia.edu.